Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Round two coverage of the NBA playoffs here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? What a game! Who had Lonnie Walker saves the Lakers from Steph Curry on their prediction card for this game? Not me. I had close game that the Lakers would win, but I had I, I did not expect it to look anything like that. Wow! I have so many thoughts, so many different things we're going to get into, and then I have some thoughts on that Knicks Heat game as well as that series goes to three one in the early slate. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Last but not least, before we get started, you guys have heard me talk about Game Time, the fastest growing ticketing app in the United States. If you're looking to get out to an NBA game or a Major League Baseball game or a concert or even a comedy show, Game Time has amazing last minute deals on tickets to all of these. Um, so if you're looking to see your favorite NBA team play in the playoffs, Game Time's got a deal for you. If you're looking to find a uh, your favorite Major League Baseball team, which is going to be harder and harder to find on television. I have uh, YouTube TV here in Tucson, and I just straight up can't watch the D-backs. That's great. Uh, so if I want to go see the D-backs, I've got to go to Game Time to see them play baseball. And if you want to go see your favorite artists, like I'm going to see John Mayer in his final tour with Dead & Company here on the 23rd when he comes to Phoenix, go on game time. You're going to find a good deal. Um, You're going to have a great experience. You're going to know exactly what you're getting yourself into. You're going to get a great seat. They've taken great care of me in the past. I know they're going to take great care of you guys. So I highly recommend you guys give it a try. No matter where you live, get out and have some fun this week. Download the game time app, enter your email, and redeem code HOOPS for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, enter your email and the code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S for $20. Dollars off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's talk some basketball. <sighs> 
such an unusual game. I I, I uh, predicted that the Lakers would win in a close one, but like I said, it went nothing like I expected. The Lakers, I'm, I'm used to seeing them win ugly, right? Like I talked about this with Colin yesterday, but they've won, I think this is going to be the sixth game in this postseason run that they've won shooting below 30% from three. This is what they do. They muck it up. It's ugly. Laker fans are constantly screaming at the television for ugly, stagnant offense. LeBron jacking up jumpers. Guys refusing to throw the ball to Anthony Davis in the post. It's always ugly, but they just somehow find a way to win by keeping the scoring low and making enough plays to win at the end. It was the bizarre Lonnie Walker performance, 15 fourth quarter points, that ended up closing this deal, which made it so unusual. We're going to get to Lonnie, but I want to. Uh, uh, we're going to get to him in just a second. I want to start with this dynamic between Anthony Davis and Steph, because this is the dynamic that the entire series hinges on. You're going to see random outlier performances across the board, right? Like you get a bagel from Jordan Poole, but you get a pretty great night from Moses Moody, right? Like that's completely random. The Lakers get absolutely nothing from D'Angelo Russell in this game. One for 10 from the field, but they get this incredible performance from Lonnie Walker. Those sorts of things are super random, super difficult to project forward in the series. So I don't really see the point in focusing on them from an adjustment standpoint. We will talk about them, but I want to focus on this Anthony Davis versus Steph Curry thing because, like I said, that's the dynamic that's actually determining the outcome of this series. And it's it starts with this progression of pick-and-roll coverages, right? So in the first game, the uh, the Lakers put Jared Vanderbilt on uh, on Steph Curry, and they put Anthony Davis on Draymond Green, and they basically uh, run their standard drop coverage uh, or they put, excuse me, they put Anthony Davis and Kavon Looney. They run their standard drop coverage, and uh, the Warriors run almost no pick and roll. They run their motion offense. They're constantly being top locked and forced to back cut into Anthony Davis. It's a disaster, right? So game two, they go to Steph High pick and roll, and they pick the War- uh, the Lakers apart with Draymond Green in the short roll, right? So game three, adjustment from Darvin Hand. They put Jared Vanderbilt on Draymond so they could switch the Steph Draymond pick and roll. And now Steph is running his pick and rolls with lesser roll men. It becomes a disaster for them in Game 3. And then Game 4, the adjustment from Steve Kerr, which I thought was super interesting, is he brings Gary Payton II into the starting lineup. And I immediately after the news came down, I got on Twitter and I said two things that I expected to look for in this game. One, they're going to put Gary Payton in a ton of ball screens. I played in the same junior college conference from Gary Payton, and I'm super familiar with this game, and he's an outstanding passer. He won conference player of the year the year after I left that conference, in large part because of his ability to dissect defenses with the pass. That's one of the strengths in his game, and he's a great athlete that can roll hard to the rim and force the defense to collapse. So it's another guy that you're trying to bait Anthony Davis into guarding because he's a non-shooter so that you can bring him up into ball screens. It was a super interesting adjustment. Another big adjustment uh, well, and I also thought they put Gary Payton in the lineup to try to force more turnovers and get out and transition. It's like going all in on defense to try to get turnovers and get running. They had 17 fast break points in this game after just four in game three. So I thought the Gary Payton adjustment was a really smart one from Steve Kerr. Um, another adjustment just in terms of execution from Steph Curry. So in this coverage, it's uh, again, I got into an argument with somebody about this yesterday about what the coverage is called. And to me, that's so irrelevant because even just calling, even within specific labels on specific teams, the rules change from team to team. It doesn't really make any sense. Each coverage is unique to each team. Um, but call it a high drop, call it a hedge, call it whatever you want to call it. Anthony Davis is coming out to the level of the screen to dissuade Steph Curry's pull-up jump shot and then recovering back 
back to the roll man as the guard is chasing over the top of the screen. And in game three, Anthony Davis was getting a boatload of deflections on that pocket pass, and it was blowing everything up for the Warriors in pick and roll. So one of the adjustments that you saw from Steph Curry in this game is when he got the ball screen, he dribbled laterally, like to the sideline, usually to his right hand, to drag Anthony Davis with him so that he's so far away from the roll man that Steph could throw a looping pass over the top. He could do whatever he wants because he's a massive window to throw Gary Payton to because no longer is it a cluster of players that he's trying to slip a pocket pass through. He's now dragging... AD so far over and Austin Reeves so far over that Gary Payton's just standing completely unguarded in the middle of the lane, right? So I thought that was a really interesting adjustment from Steph and he absolutely barbecued them in this game. And for the record, it could have been so much worse. Like Steph was 12 for 30 from the field, three for 14 from three. I did tell you guys, I said game four was going to come down to the Anthony Davis, LeBron James, bully ball defense dynamic versus Steph's shot making and Steph's shot making just didn't quite rise to the occasion. He had two looks at the end. We're going to get to that in a second. He was just barely short of the goal of tying up the series. So that dynamic very easily could have gone the other way if he's 13 for 30 or he's 14 for 30 or four for 14 from three. So it could have been so much worse, but I thought Steph absolutely destroyed the Lakers in pick and roll. Then at halftime, Darvin Ham tries to switch Anthony Davis onto Andrew Wiggins in hopes of just putting a different role man there that's maybe not as good of a decision maker. They got a few more stops, but I thought I thought for the most part, the Lakers improved defensive effort in the second half, mostly came down to better effort on the back line. Guys just making better rotations and be like LeBron being more active, everybody being more active in their rotations on on the back line. Um, and then the other thing that Steph was doing that I thought was smart is he was having Andrew Wiggins in particular slip the screen. So by slipping the screen, you can catch AD while he's still running up and slip it past him before Anthony Davis gets up into a position where he can actually get a deflection. It was such an interesting, just genius offensive performance from Steph Curry that goes so much further than the, than the box score. What do you have, like 13 assists? Like it, Literally, if he shot any better... He would have just completely decimated the Lakers in this game. I thought it was such an unbelievable performance from Steph Curry. But down the stretch, remember what I said. There are three ways to guard the Steph Curry pick and roll. You can run drop coverage and hope your guards get over the top. You can come up to the level of the screen and open yourself up to the short roll. And what's the final option? It's the switch. This is where Anthony Davis just says, screw it. I'm taking Steph. Whoever gets screened by Draymond Green or or Andrew Wiggins or Kevon Looney or Gary Payton, just run with him down to the basket, and we leave Steph Curry on Anthony Davis on an island to determine the outcome of these possessions. And there was a possession early in the game where they ended up in a switch, and Steph hit a step back three on Anthony Davis. There's another possession in the second half where he drove past Anthony Davis and AD actually kind of forced him into a bad pass to LeBron, but it like bounced right back into Steph's hands and he laid it in. But those were the only two switches they ran that I can remember in the first three and a half quarters or so. There's a reason why teams don't want to switch Anthony Davis onto Steph. I I would imagine it's about trying to prevent back-end action, right? So Steph is guarding Anthony Davis out at the rim. Then you can run all your shit on the back-end with no Anthony Davis, and we know how bad the the Lakers' defense is without rim protection. And the second thing is offensive rebounding, right? So you end up with Austin Reeves on Draymond Green on that final possession, the second-to-last possession, and uh, Anthony Davis gets a stop on Steph Curry, but Draymond Green just jumps over the top and grabs an offensive rebound and kicks it back. So those are the reasons why most coaches don't like to switch as much as they can. It's also just a lot of work for Anthony Davis to slide his feet, but they had no choice 
but to go to it at the end of the game. And we end up in a possession where it's a one-point game, and we have our clash of superpowers, right? So I just have broken down in great detail how Steph Curry's superpower nearly murdered the Lakers tonight, right? And then he had a similar game in Game 2. And then we have two heroic Anthony Davis performances in Game 1 and Game 3. Obviously, Anthony Davis was amazing offensively in Game 1, but defensively was where Anthony Davis controlled the game in Game 1 and Game 3. So I've got Steph Curry's offensive superpower versus Anthony Davis's defensive superpower in a game that I believe was the one that was going to determine the outcome of this series. And we're going to get to this in a second. I do not think this series is over. But that said, the Lakers are in a commanding position. This was the one they had to win, right? So everything came down to that possession. And Anthony Davis forced Steph into an extremely difficult step-back one-legged three. And he gets a stop. In and out, too. Like, it was right there. I, I, I mean, against the quality of defender that Anthony Davis is, Steph, I'm sure, likes that look. And then on the offensive rebound kickback, I thought it was super interesting Steph settled for such a difficult step-back what was that, like a 30-footer or so, 35-footer or so off the dribble against Anthony Davis. That goes to show you that he thought that was the best he could get under the circumstances. So in the clash of the superpowers at the end of the game, even though Steph, I thought, outplayed Anthony Davis throughout the night, Anthony Davis made two plays at the end with the superpower, overcoming Steph Curry, and the Lakers get the win. Um, we're going to talk more about the Lakers and their adjustments with pick and roll here in just a minute and how I expect them to go the rest of the series. But I wanted to start with that because I thought that was the most interesting dynamic in the game. Lonnie Walker. After game three, I was extremely upset with myself because I noticed Lonnie Walker, uh, and what he did in the game defensively, but I didn't talk about it on the show. Um, a lot of times, especially when we go live on amp, this one's not live, but when we go live, I'll typically, uh, on many nights, go without notes because we're going right after the final buzzer. And so I'm just going off the top of the head. I might have like three or four things written down. It's not the same as when I do those full shows in the morning, right? And I just forgot to get to Lonnie Walker. And so I was super pissed off. And I get on Twitter later that night. And I'm like, man, forgot to talk about Lonnie. Love the work he did defensively. Glad to see him in the rotation. I want to talk about Lonnie Walker tonight because this has been such an incredible story and an example of this Laker team and their basketball character throughout the season. A team that I didn't really like their basketball character last year and some of the mood and, and, and things that and some of the dynamics that were going on in that locker room. This team has had so much more fight and resiliency than that last year's team. Lonnie Walker was removed from the rotation because of his offense. He was a guy that routinely had bad shot selection, and he was a guy that was not a very good defensive player. At least he wasn't engaged enough on that end as he needed to be. Um, he ended up losing his rotation spot after the trade deadline, in large part because you brought in two additional guards in Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell. And Troy Brown Jr. actually was really good in the middle of the season and kind of took that specific so as a spot as like their best you know, perimeter uh, defensive guard that they would kind of unleash in that bench unit, right? So Lonnie Walker falls out of the rotation. But it largely had to do with the defensive end of the floor. So in game three, he gets into the rotation because he's so damn fast. We noticed this a lot in that Sacramento Kings series. But Lonnie Walker's speed reminds me of some of the stuff with Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox and just them just sprinting like crazy, Davion Mitchell around chasing these Warriors guards around. And he did a great job in game three, locking and trailing, staying attached. Did great work on Jordan Poole, had some great possessions on Klay Thompson, 
It was just an excellent defensive performance from Lonnie Walker. What's so interesting is I have been hearing behind the scenes, just I say just from all the people that do great work covering the Lakers, that Lonnie Walker, during this entire stretch where he's been out of the rotation, has just stayed extremely diligent with his work. And he's actually been like a pretty solid spot-up shooter for the Lakers this year when they've needed him to be. But what's so interesting to me is not only does he make a monumental three to start the fourth quarter that turns a seven-point game into a four-point game, and you could tell visibly engaged LeBron in that quarter as he scored or assisted on the next four points, I think, to tie it. But he starts hitting off-the-dribble jump shots. Again, one of the one of the weird plot lines of this particular Laker playoff run is LeBron James and Anthony Davis have been super unaggressive offensively for long stretches. They've just been willing to give the ball to the guards, usually Dennis Schroeder, D'Angelo Russell, and Austin Reeves, set ball screens and get out of the way. And it's a couple of different things. Anthony Davis is carrying a massive defensive load. And LeBron James just doesn't have a ton left in the tank, and so he's picking his spots. And so they need their guards to be a certain amount of aggressive. It's actually something that I'd like to see them eventually flip if they're going to try to win this series. We'll get to that later. But when they've needed somebody to step up and get uh, and generate quality shots in this game, it was Lonnie Walker. 15 fourth quarter points. He had a baseline out-of-bounds play where he flew off of the screen and knocked down a little 18-footer on the baseline. He hit multiple pull-up jump shots. Over the top of the uh, over the top of contests, including I think at least two over Steph Curry in isolations, he just willed that ball into the basket. And so, what's so interesting to me about the Lonnie Walker thing is it's such a great example for any young basketball player for how to be a professional in any locker room. Your offense will come and go; it's part of the basketball player's journey. Look at LeBron James. He's the second best basketball player of all time. Cannot make a jump shot to save his life. You're going to have struggles. But there are things that you can control, particularly on the defensive end, particularly with rebounding and effort. Execution shot selection. Lonnie Walker got his opportunity with what he can do defensively. And then through the natural flow of the game, it gave him an opportunity to demonstrate the hard work that he's been putting in behind the scenes on his jump shot. And it rose to the surface in what is just an iconic playoff moment. Completely out of the rotation two games ago, iconic playoff moment. 15 points in the fourth quarter of a pivotal 2-1 series lead game between the Lakers and the Warriors that puts the Lakers in a commanding position to win the series where now the Warriors have to win three games consecutively to win the series. Just big shout out to Lonnie Walker. Great example of professionalism and an, and, and an example of what every young basketball player should try to replicate, especially as they go through the natural ebbs and flows that take place, especially when you get on deep teams. Like young high school players, you're going to end up on a college team one day that's 11, 12 guys deep, and the rotation's going to be weird, and there are going to be games where you're out of it. And if you focus on your shooting, if you focus on those things, you will fall out of the rotation. If you focus on the things that coaches pay attention to, defending, executing, playing hard every single possession, good shot selection, that will buy you time on the floor for your offensive skill set to eventually shine through. Austin Reeves, also excellent in that fourth quarter. He had a four-point run after the Warriors went up like 94-90. to He had a pull-up jump shot and pick and roll, similar type of thing. LeBron and AD kind of standing around waiting for somebody to make a play. He hits a pull-up jumper and pick and roll. Um... Uh, then on the next, uh, I think it was the next possession, maybe two possessions later, gets to the foul line, attacking a closeout, drawing contact on Andrew Wiggins. He also had three threes in the game as well. Awesome uh, kind of snapback game from Austin Reeves after a really rough start in the beginning of the game with the shot making. And then LeBron James, 
27 points, 9 rebounds, and 6 assists. It's insane considering the way that massive areas of his game are failing him. He was struggling to score in the post over Steph Curry. Couldn't make a jump shot to save his life. Still just just wheeled his way to 27 points. It's funny. I, I was I tweeted this out during the game, and I truly believe it. It's so funny as we've painted this series, and not we in particular. I was anti this right from the, the series preview. But so many media uh, personalities and TV shows and stuff have painted this as Steph versus LeBron or as some sort of like rubber match between LeBron James and Steph Curry. And it's so silly because Steph Curry's at the absolute peak of his powers. He had a bad shooting night and still was masterful offensively. He has complete command of the game right now. And LeBron James is a shell of himself who's just trying through sheer force of will, basketball IQ, and whatever he's got left in those legs, trying to will himself to helping his team win games. And in that effort, 27-9-6, attacking out of the post, attacking Steph in switches, Getting opportunities, going to the rim hard in the short, it rolling to the rim. That was a big uh, element in his offense tonight. You saw that and one that he got on the baseline. I think it was with an Austin Reeves screen. He had another one in the first half where he got downhill, like just screening and rolling to the rim. Like, hey, shit, I can't make a, I can't make a damn jump shot. My post up hook shots are missing. Let me do something to help the team. I'll just screen and roll hard to the rim because I'm still big as shit and I'm still strong and I can still finish around the rim with the best of them. Like. It was just, it's just sheer force of will from LeBron James in this particular game. Attacking the offensive glass when he had every, when he had an opportunity. I just, that's like a straight up heart of the champion type of game from LeBron. And, you know, we got to enjoy it for as long as we can because the end is near uh, with LeBron playing at nearly this level. And he's given us everything he's got left in the gas tank right now, probably because he thinks this team has a chance to win a championship. Uh, one last note I want to hit before we go to adjustments, before we call it a night. There's a downside to relying heavily on Steph pick and roll. And I would imagine if you asked uh, Steve Kerr with true serum, because Warriors fans have been begging for this forever. And I am a big believer in like, do it when you have to. Um, But there's a downside to spamming high pick and roll, and it stops the Warrior motion offense from keeping the other offensive players engaged in the game. Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole go a combined three for 15 from the field for nine points. Jordan Poole was a bagel, 0 for 4. So, like, when you when you go Steph high pick and roll, you allow your guys to stay glued up to Klay Thompson off ball, and he's not involved in screening actions. He's just spotting up. So he's just uninvolved in the offense. Now, Klay is just such a ridiculous, you know, confident shooter that he still made a massive clutch three in the right corner down the stretch. I don't know how he made it without how out of rhythm he was. But then he ended up missing one on the left wing later. Like, one of the downsides is you just put a lot of pressure on Steph to make shots because Clay's not going to be able to help you just as a spot-up guy when they can stay glued up to him. Jordan Poole has been just a nightmare offensively in this entire playoff run relative to last year where he was basically a 50-40-90 guy. And so it comes down to Steph shot-making, and that, when that's all you rely on, you live with the result, and he went 12 for 30. And he went four, uh, 3 for 14 from 3. And so that's what ends up happening. As, as ugly as that is, and again, that all I'm doing is, ex- is explaining the reason why I believe Kerr goes that route. I still think that's the best chance for the Warriors to win. As we go looking to adjustments moving forward for the Warriors, I think you got to stick with the, the Steph high pick and roll and just hope for a better shot result, which you're almost certainly going to get at home. 
as a team, they were 12 for 41 from three. Again, you're consistently pulling Anthony Davis away from the rim, and I think that gives you your best chance to win. Even defensively, I thought the Warriors were great. You're, you're a Lonnie Walker hot shooting performance away from being in a tied 2-2 series. You know, and again, it doesn't it doesn't matter. You know, the, the Memphis Grizzlies were a LeBron James layup away from being 2-2 in the series. They don't get to go back and get that win. You have to, that is just a win on, a win is a win is a win. And so it, it is what it is. You're down 3-1, but you're defending well enough to disrupt this Laker offense, and you are uh, generating higher quality shots in the Steph High pick and roll than you are in anything else in your offense. So it is your best bet to win, and you just have to hope that for three straight games, Steph can make enough plays for his teammates and make enough shots. On the Lakers front, um, here's the thing. None of your pick and roll coverages are working except for the switch. And ideally, you don't want to switch all game. And I, again, I still think we got five Steph points on four AD switches, if I remember correctly. I'll have to go back and look at the film tomorrow. Um, but like, there's no good solution. So I would stick with the high drop for now and go to switching at the end of the game for Anthony Davis and just hope to God that Steph doesn't play as well as he did tonight and hope to God he doesn't make more shots. I think that's their best chance guarding in pick and roll. Um, more LeBron James and Anthony Davis post-ups. I, I thought the the guards tonight for the Lakers were really, really uneven offensively. And I get it from a fatigue standpoint with everything Anthony Davis has on his plate and everything that LeBron James um, um, is dealing with physically. But again, e- even if you're not shooting, Go to LeBron in the post. Go to Anthony Davis in the post and run dummy post like like decoy action. Meaning like have LeBron just pound, pound, draw that second defender, then swing out to whoever's on the wing and let them attack closeouts. Do something to warp the defense other than just running these pick and rolls with these uh, Laker guards that have just been so inconsistent. There was a play on the left wing where Dennis Schroeder gets the ball. It's an offensive rebound situation. He gets the ball. Anthony Davis has Draymond Green in the post and is calling for the ball. Dennis looks him off, drives middle, and just throws it behind the back pass out of bounds. Like again, like you're you're gonna get so much more bad with the good with the with the Laker guards. You need them. They're an important part of the offense. They need to be involved. But especially as things really bog down at the end of games, I would run through LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the post almost exclusively. Moving forward, I said that the winner of this series would win the game. Or the winner of this game would win the series. I do believe the Lakers are in a obviously in a commanding position. Here's the problem. In this game, the scoreboard does not appropriately reflect the gap in shot quality. You get an extremely poor shooting night from the Warriors on what I thought was good looks, 12 for 41 from three. You have Steph's one of Steph's worst shot-making performances of the postseason. He goes 12 for 30, 3 for 14 from three. And you get this random Lonnie Walker heater at the end of the game. He scores 15 points. There's a version of this exact same game where the Warriors win by 20. And so even though the Lakers are in commanding position, and it's extremely difficult to beat any team in the playoffs three consecutive times, I still think the Warriors have a good chance. I wouldn't say a 50-50 chance. I'd say like a 30% chance that the Warriors can win the series. And it's this simple. You demonstrated tonight that you can get better shots than this team for a full 48-minute game by a significant margin. Go home in Game 5 and do that and win. Then it's 
all the marbles in game six. You're going to get a uh, hellacious Laker defensive effort. It's going to be extremely difficult. You're going to need an all-time great Steph game. But he can do it. We've seen him do it. He did it in game four against Boston last year. If he wins that game, then it's game seven at home or you're going to be favored. So the Lakers won the game they had to win. They're in commanding position. I'd give them about a 70% chance to win the series right now. I'm sticking with my pick of Lakers in six. But if you're a Warriors fan, there is a lot to be encouraged by, even in a loss tonight. And it's going to be extremely difficult. The deck is stacked against them, but they absolutely still have a chance to win this series. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. Um, We will be back tomorrow night after the final buzzer of Nuggets Suns Game 5. As always, I appreciate you guys, and I will see you then. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.